Dear Father, we're thankful to be able to be here this morning. And as we discuss this very sensitive topic, we would ask for your inspiration, your presence here, Lord, that uh, things could be communicated clearly and that you would open up our hearts to the wisdom that we find in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like, to, I'd like to start out with you using your imagination this morning. Imagine that you've just come to a wedding. You're all sitting in the benches. The decor has already been set up. And, and Phil is our groom. So Phil is coming up to the front. Please, we're in a wedding ceremony here. It means quiet. Shh. And... You have to think of the ambience of the music as the bride will start to walk in. Shh. Where's our bride? Our bride can now walk in. <laughs> Here comes our bride. Dearly beloved, we are gathered together to witness the union of these two souls in holy matrimony. If both of you have soberly considered this and believe this to be the will of God for your lives, please signify this by the joining of your right hands. What's going on here? Well, honey, this is Anna. When I was 17, we had a relationship, and we were intimate together, and we really loved each other, but things just didn't work out. And, and this is Darlene. At 18, I met her in camp, and we really had an instant connection, and, and we cared for each other, and we followed up with sending emails and shared intimate details with each other and phone calls and um, I really thought she was the one at the time uh, and then things just didn't work out with that as well but really honey I love you thank you very much so the point the point of that skit of course is the idea that Phil Phil had other girlfriends prior to that. And when we're talking about intimacy, we're not necessarily talking about physical intimacy there. What we were talking about there is emotional intimacy, opening up the heart, sharing, sharing with each other to the point of believing that they were meant for each other and yet not ready for marriage. And when it didn't work out, there was hurt that was there. And as you share your heart one with another, as we'll see in the presentation, um, there is some scars that are left. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through the presentation. This is a very sensitive subject, and I had a lot of difficulty putting this together. And we'll try to go through it to define the whole aspect as you guys, most of you, in fact, let's say the by far the majority, there's a couple of people I think in here that are married, but most of you are single. And when I talk about the season of singleness and what we should be looking for, to, the types of qualities that we want to foster in the single period and sometimes why dating hinders that process. Again, we'll define what we mean by dating. 
And in fact, as we saw the, the, in the skit here, it can also affect your future marriage as you have baggage as a result of past relationships. But then, of course, the natural question is, is fine, if we don't have, can't use dating or if dating has all these problems, how do I transition from being single to married? Because I believe most of you would probably like to become married one day. Let's talk a little bit about singleness here. Some people view singleness as being really lonely, sort of a time period in life that you want to really quickly pass through because you're sort of off by yourself. There's a lot of sadness or it's not fun. It's a lot more fun to have somebody at your side to experience life together. You may feel incomplete. And in fact, at least when I was going through school, and it may be even more prevalent today, it's abnormal. There's a lot of couples walking around high school and university together. If you're single, people wonder, what's wrong with this person, right? Why, aren't you, why don't you have a girlfriend or boyfriend? But really, that's not what singleness is all about. Singleness really is a season. Just like God created uh, seasons in, we have uh, four seasons back home. Maybe in California you don't uh, have four seasons um, or they're not as readily apparent. Um, singleness is a season. It's like springtime. Springtime is the beginning of life where you are growing and preparing for the rest of your life. If the spring is bad, if there's a drought or development or maturity that's supposed to happen in your single period doesn't happen, it will affect the rest of your life. And so this is a critical time that, that you find yourself now in, in your teen years. Each season has its beauty. I mean, in springtime, I love the fact that we come from winter. Everything is dead, dormant. Springtime is lush, green. Things are starting to grow. You get a lot of color, vibrant beauty. Um, but on the other hand, spring also has its downside. Sometimes you have rainy seasons. Sometimes it's cool, too cool. Sometimes it's too hot. This year was a, a bit too hot. You think of other times, other seasons in life as well. Summertime can be too humid. Can, be, um, can also be beautiful. And so each season has its upsides and its downsides. And we need to learn, God is telling us, to learn to be content in each of the seasons that we find ourselves instead of thinking, oh my gosh, I can't wait till springtime is over. I can't wait till summertime is. Because the reality is, when, when summertime comes, if we have that mentality, we're going to be saying the same thing in summertime because not, all, not everything's going to be so rosy in summertime. And so part of the time of, of your time in singleness is God is preparing you for the next season, but he also wants to enjoy, you to enjoy the season that you are currently in and to make the best of it. As I had mentioned, everywhere you look, you'll probably see couples, high school, university, and it seems like you are maybe the only one that isn't, doesn't have a girlfriend or a boyfriend. I know in my life, that caused me to be discontent. I wanted to have somebody by my side. I wanted to have a girlfriend. And God had to teach me that if I cannot learn to be content in the season that he has called me to be, that it will likely be that as I go through the rest of the seasons in my life, that I will also not be able to be content in those other seasons because of the, the times of difficulty or the times of challenges that are in those seasons as well. And so... If you have been fed the line, or if you've been thinking that if only I could be married, that's where I can feel complete. That's where um, life will start to have meaning. That's a lie. The enemy is, is trying to deceive you, to draw you into a, 
draw you into a relationship that will actually cause more harm than good. So it's really important for us to learn in whatsoever state we are to be content. What is the purpose of our single period? Is it just sort of a thing to make it through without making too many mistakes just so we can get on to the next period? No, of course not. This is a critical time in, in, in our lives and is in our springtime. Basically, we're there to develop, to grow, to mature, just as a plant, as you think in the springtime, as it starts to grow, it's not bearing any fruit yet. It's not strong enough to do that yet. And that God has designed our lives to be that way as well, for us to grow, to mature, to learn. It also gives us a unique opportunity to serve. As a single person, God had given me a lot of opportunities to serve in the church, volunteering outside of the church, in the community. And these opportunities for me, now that I'm married and I have two children, are no longer there. I am fully engaged with my family. And it's a lot busier than I thought that it would be. And as I look back at the singleness period in my life, I'm very thankful that I was able to use many opportunities. Certainly not as many as I should have, but many opportunities that had I wasted that, I would have missed out on the many blessings that God had in store for me during those times to serve. Of course, we can read that in 1 Corinthians 7 as the Apostle talks about, look, if you're single, you can serve the Lord much better than you can when you're married. doesn't mean you can't serve when you're married, but it's a very different period. Singleness is also a very important time for preparation for marriage. Marriage is hard work. It's a blending of two wills. And we start out, and as you can see, with, two, uh, with little children, they're selfish. And as we grow up, we are naturally selfish. I love me. I'm interested in me, myself, and I. And often you will hear the line, if you would love me, and you have, uh, you know, in high school or in university, as a guy is trying to pressure the girl to do things she's not comfortable with, he will often use the line, if you love me, you would do this. When in fact, that's not at all what love is about. In this case, he's just thinking of himself. That's what he wants. He doesn't care about her. He doesn't care that it may cause damage in her life, emotional scars. He's, all, he's just interested in himself. And that's a typical tendency as we're growing up. We are naturally selfish. And God, uh, and God wants to teach us what sacrificial love is all about. And that's what's going on in our single period. He wants to teach us to learn how to relate one to another wants us to um, develop friendships, to be able to share experiences together because marriage is about a relationship. And so as you're going through your single period, the relationships that God wants you to develop is with your friends. That's both guys and girls. And the reason we titled this Purposeful Relationship, pur uh, Purposeful Guy-Girl Relationships, is that you need to purpose in your heart to be able to develop friendships but not be able to go too far. And all these areas that we're talking about, it takes the will. It takes the desire to do it. It will not happen naturally. And so as we go through this, I, I hope you can remember in your mind that these things will take effort and you will need to purpose to do them in order to fulfill or, or to grow the most in the season that God has called you to um, in at this time. And all of this takes time. A plant does not grow overnight. A little baby does not grow up the next day. And sometimes we are impatient. I know I was. I'm like, look, I'm tired of this period. I'd like to move on to the next period. And God had 
God had to say to me, no, you still need to wait. You still have some growing and maturing that you need to do. And so during this period of singleness, if you find yourself that you wish that you were maybe starting to move on into the next phase, or at least that God would map out to you saying, look, you're going to marry person A over there. In three years' time, you're like, great. My future is mapped out for me. Now I can concentrate on my single period. God doesn't usually work like that. He usually wants us to take one step at a time in faith, believing that he has something in store for us, and not for us to be distracted with that area, but instead focus on the present and do what we can with, God, with what God has uh, provided for us. Of course, many of you are probably familiar with the story of Rebecca. She was busy doing about providing for camels, providing hospitality. And through that experience, God actually provided the opportunity for her to become married. And it was during her time of service. And often, if you talk to people in their marriage story, when they were busy doing God's service, God often provided the opportunity for that connection to happen. Um, instead of the person trying to frantically look around to see, who is God going to have me to marry? And, and, and try to speed that process up. Now, you may be thinking, that's great. That's uh, the season of singleness. But what am I supposed to be looking for in a spouse? Because as part of the preparation for marriage, you will start to be evaluating. You probably have been already. What type of person should I be marrying? I don't know how many of you have had that experience where you sort of, um, when you talk to a pretty girl or a handsome guy, you're sort of, you feel tongue-tied. You say things, you think, oh my gosh, what did I just say? I can't believe that. I feel so stupid. And you go back and you analyze it over and over. Man, you know, next time I see this person, you know, I'm going to say this. And the next time you do it, you're like, oh my gosh, I messed up again. Um, and that sometimes happens. I've had that experience. Because we sort of lose our ability to evaluate. We're just sort of, you know, sucked into the beautiful, you know, fluttering of the eyes or whatever it is, right? Um, and unfortunately... Unfortunately, we are surrounded by a culture that accentuates or that highlights beauty as almost the most important thing. God did create beauty, but we have blown it way out of proportion. And God is not impressed with beauty. I'd like to share just a short story about, um, it's a true story. A young man in our church grew up in a Christian home, decided that, this is not for him at this point. He's going to make his own way initially. And uh, he uh, had a girlfriend. Actually, it didn't start out that way. He saw this girl, like this beauty queen here, said, wow, and was impressed by her beauty and fell for her. And he actually told me, he said, you know, even though I wasn't a Christian, God was not my life, I actually prayed. I said, Lord, if you would just give, it, give her to me, I'll be so satisfied and I'll give my life to you. And I'm not sure God actually answered the prayer because it wasn't good for him. But in any event, they did become married. And the marriage went downhill because beauty does not last long. What do you look like when you turn 50? You're not going to look like when you were 20. And if it was just based on looks, it's going to fail. And that's exactly what happened to him. Marriage went down the rocks, went on the rocks. <clears throat> Excuse me. They had children together, but eventually they had to separate and divorce. And as he shared to me, the world of hurt that he had to go through in those years because he was tempted with beauty and he fell in that temptation and had to pay the consequences, unfortunately. Now, there's nothing wrong with be, to be beautiful. 
nothing wrong to, you know, uh, make sure that, um, or that we're attracted to that. God has created that. But if that's the, the if, if we uh, evaluate that and put that in proportion, it's going to lead us in the wrong direction. What, what, what impresses God? Look in 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says, For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth. For a man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. In Proverbs 31, 30, it says, Charm is deceitful, and beauty is passing. But a woman, in this, or a man, you could say, who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. It's the, qual- the things that impresses God are the qualities that last, that are not going to fade away as our beauty or our handsome or our muscles will eventually, you know, unless we keep working out, and eventually we will. Our bodies will decline. Um, but these qualities God wants to build up in us, and that's what impresses him. So these qualities, as we go through them, this is not an exhaustive list. We could be here the whole hour or two hours looking through of what qualities we should be looking in somebody else. But more importantly, what qualities that you should be fostering in your life right now in the season of singleness that God has provided for you. Nobody is perfect. So if you look at these qualities and think, oh my gosh, okay, I don't measure up here and I don't measure up here. Maybe God is calling you to say, you need to improve and mature in these areas. But even if I evaluate my life, it's not like I have arrived either because nobody will measure 10 on the scale in each one of these areas. But if you find somebody that in your life you don't measure up hardly in any of these areas, that's definitely a cause for concern to say that you are not ready at all for marriage or the person you're looking at is not ready for marriage either. One of the first things that we want to look at is how is their relationship with God? Can you say that they're passionate about God? If they're not a Christian, they're definitely not ready for marriage. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will, will, will be added unto you. So if you are not a Christian, it's out of the question. But even if you are a Christian, there are Christians that you would have to wonder, are they a Christian? And if that's the case, that's definitely a very important quality that's missing. Because God wants us to grow and to be passionate about things of the kingdom and the things that matter and the qualities that he's impressed with. We want to ask the question of how do they or how do we relate with authority figures in our life? Like our parents. How does he treat his mom? Because very likely, if he treats his mom with disrespect, it's a good chance that you've been married for a number of years, he's going to start treating you like that as well. Or, about, or how about how does she respect her dad? If she's constantly running behind his back and hiding things from him, it's a good chance that she's not going to relate very well to you um, after you've been married. How about authorities? If there's a constant conflict, there's going to be a problem. doesn't mean that we get along with everyone all the time. That's not possible. But if it seems that in every area of authority that God has ordained in our life, there's constant conflict, that's a clear warning sign. What about how he, relates, how he or she relates to the opposite gender? Is she a flirt? Is he maybe have a wandering eye, looking at those maybe don't, that don't have enough, that should have more on than they do? If so, what do you think? Why do you think marriage is going to stop that? It's not a chance. Very unlikely. Another uh, important criteria is how do they, um, what, what's their circle of friends? What do they do when they hang out together? Are they constantly um, looking for 
a good time without thinking of the consequences? Is that what they're consumed about? Or are they looking for ways to serve the Lord together? And there's many opportunities, and that's one thing that's really impressive to me, is when I see a group of young people that are serving the Lord together, both guys and girls, and um, there's lots of opportunities for that to happen. doesn't mean that we, every time we get together always has to be a spiritual conversation. That's not reality. But if the focus of our life is fast cars and, 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 and beauty and, and these things that are going to pass away, if that's what our focus is and that's what the circle of friends that we're hanging out, just going out, um, we're not fostering the qualities that God wants us to do in, in our single period. Darlene would like to share a story about that. Just go to the mic. Hello? Is it's, this not, it's not, it's not a speaker. Nope. Okay. Um, <clears throat> when I was around you guys' age, uh, a few of my peers actually at 15 and 16 started having fun and drinking alcohol. And uh, that's sometimes considered cool. So um, they did that. And here it is at my age, a couple of decades later, um, I know a few of them that are alcoholics. Now, at the time, of course, it's just something fun to do, and, and uh, you know, as church kids, they're really not going to have huge consequences, but you really don't know what your activities lead to. It, I mean, the activities you choose to do with your friends don't even have to be something like that. Um, choose to do, I really encourage you to choose to do uh, activities that are, have value. Um, I know in my youth group, we didn't really have a mentor, and um, we just kind of got together and watched movies. Watching movies is not bad, but I look back and the years that we wasted, the energy that we had that we could be doing things that were worthwhile, still to this day, I'll talk with my peers that were in our youth group, and we regret it. I mean, you guys are in an awesome time of your life. It is wonderful to be single, and I mean, it is wonderful to be married, too, don't get me wrong, but um, like he said, we have responsibilities, and you guys use your energy. I really encourage you to go on mission trips, do, do things that you won't be able to do when you get older. Thank you. Another quality that we can be looking at is how do, we, how do they manage their resources? Are they entertainment-focused or are they service-focused? doesn't mean that... We should never watch a movie, we should never do these things, but if that's what characterizes our life and our free time, that's probably a, that, that can be a problem. What about when there's work to do? Do they show up? Are they willing to volunteer, roll up their sleeves? If not, that can be, a, that can be an issue because marriage, again, is hard work. How about handling money? Now, it's not to say that uh, we need to look at their bank account and see what their credit card statement looks like, or if you don't have a credit card, how much cash you're, you're, you're throwing around. But sometimes some of the indicators that we can see is, do they have the latest fashion? Do they drive a fancy car? Do they have lots of gadgets? Or going out all the time? Or going on fancy vacations? Or just spending money left and right? Um, none of those things are necessarily wrong in, of, in and of themselves. But if that is our focus, if we're in every one of those categories, spending money like that is probably a good chance that we don't know how to budget or how to use our money wisely. And of course, when you get married, that can become a major contention point. In fact, I, I believe I remember reading a statistic is that the, the number one or number two reason why couples divorce is over finances. So if you don't have your finances together as a single person, you're setting up yourself for a lot of trouble when you get married. 
Are they using their gifts and talents? Each one of you have been given many gifts and talents. Are you using those to serve the Lord during this time of your singleness? Because it will show up as this quality that God, that God is looking for and that others are looking uh, in your life as well. We talked a little bit about contentment. Uh, how about humble? Are they humble or know-it-all? They always know better than everybody else. If they do, eh, that, that can become a problem later on. Um, are they compassionate? Are they dependable? If they say they're going to do something, are they going to do it? Or if they say, you're like, okay, I know this guy. He's never going to follow through with what he's saying. That can become a real source of irritation when you can't rely on your spouse. Um, so these are qualities that you want to be fostering in, in this season of singleness. Think of, think of this season of singleness is that if you try to transition from singleness to married, when these qualities have not gone through, have not been developed sufficiently, it's like picking a fruit that has not been ripe. If you ever picked an apple that has not been fully mature and you take a bite out of it, major sour. And if you can get more through, through uh, uh, more than one bite, I'm, I'd be impressed. Or if you take some grapes before they're ripe and you bite, it's very sour. And that is sort of like what will happen if somebody goes from the season of singleness when they haven't fully matured and developed and you move to marriage, there's going to be a lot of sourness and bitterness that's going to happen. It doesn't mean that the marriage is going to fall apart, but there's going to be a lot more difficulty, a lot more hurdles to overcome than had, than had you developed those qualities during your single period. Let's talk a little bit about feelings here. What feels good is not always good. You've probably heard of the term, I just fell in love. And it's almost like it's the fault of love because, you know, these feelings well up inside of you. And you know what? We cannot always control our feelings. There are times that we will feel mad when we shouldn't feel mad. There are times where we will, we will like, wow, feel really attracted to somebody. And you're thinking, what is going on with me? You can't always control your feelings. But the point here is, is that feelings should never lead our life. They should be followers. So even if we feel for somebody, doesn't mean we should act out on that. We need to check out what those feelings um, against the Word of God and these principles that we're talking about, because if they're going to lead us, it will very likely result in a train wreck. And we need to move on, move beyond what feels good to what is good. I'd like to talk a little bit about smart love versus foolish love, because all of us have, ten have tendencies in the foolish love category. I'd like to talk a little bit about that. First, let's read Philippians 1, 9 and 10. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And those words that I highlighted and read there, we're going to come back later on in the presentation because they're key to understanding what the difference between foolish love and smart love is all about. Foolish love is typically motivated by selfish desires. What can I get from this relationship? If I get to score with the most popular girl in the school, that's going to raise my, level, my status level, and I can walk around proud because, wow, did I ever score. And you can imagine, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever had that experience, when somebody walks in the room, you evaluate that person by the girl that he's with or by the guy that she's with. You think, wow, she scored the, the football player, ooh, man, she must be something special. Um, and that's an aspect of foolish love is that 
We're thinking about what I get from the relationship. And you know what? Frankly, it feels good to have a companion. God did design most of you to eventually end up with a spouse. But if it's premature, if it's premature, it's going to, it's like that fruit that we're picking that is not ripe yet. And you know what? Romance feels nice. It does. That's why we want to give, our natural being is once we're, we start becoming uh, friends and closer friends and start becoming intimate, it's a natural progression. And that's why we have to guard against that if we are not ready yet. Foolish love says nothing about commitment. It's all about the good feelings and the romance and the, the pluses of love without the, what some people would term as the negative commitment. Ooh, boy, I don't want to commit for the rest of my life. Forget it. I just want to have fun right now. And, of course, the extreme of this is moving in together. Somebody says, I'm not willing to get married, but let's move in together and pretend we're married. And let's experience all the things of marriage, except let's not follow through with the, with the commitment. And I'd like to say that we have no business asking for a person's heart and affection if it is not backed up by a lifelong commitment. There's an example of an adoption agency. They typically, when, when a couple wants to go to adopt somebody, and they're not sure, they're in the evaluation period, they don't want the child to know that this couple that's coming through, whether it's an orphanage or the home, is actually evaluating them whether they can be adopted or not. Because the, the rejection that happens, if they know about this, and then eventually for whatever reason the couple decides, no, we're not comfortable with this person for whatever reason, this child, that child is brokenhearted. Why? Because their love, what, what the child was hoping for is love, great, I can finally have a mommy and daddy, was not followed up with commitment. And the same thing will happen in our lives. If we start giving our hearts away and it's not followed or backed up by commitment, that's what causes our heart to break. Foolish love allows feelings to lead the way. You've probably heard the expression, I've fallen in love, and, and the reality is, is if that's the basis of your relationship, that you've just fallen in love, chances are that you'll fall out of love just as quickly. Many times the feelings just come and go, but as the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10, 5, it says we must cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We need to discern all of the thoughts and the feelings that come through our mind and say, is this, is this right? And if it's not right, we need to take control. And as a Christian, we have the power to take control of that feeling, take control of that thought and, and put it to the side instead of it leading us astray. Foolish love is characterized by, often characterized with infatuation. What is infatuation? Urgency. There's no time to wait. I love this girl. I need, to, I need to grab her before somebody else gets her. And you try to rush as quickly as possible. There's intensity there. It develops very quickly. Before, let's say a week ago, you didn't even know who this person was. And suddenly this week, you're like, wow, I never knew she existed. But you know, now I can't even stop thinking of her. That's what characterizes infatuation. Uh, anxiety. You feel you need to act fast because you're going to lose out. And you're not really evaluating the person, their entire character, because there's no time for that. You're just rushing on ahead. And that's infatuation and certainly a characterization of, of foolish love. You think of love as a journey. The principles and attitudes that we use up, or sorry, the principles and attitudes that are used make up the travel vessel. 
And foolish love I characterize as if you're trying to use this rowboat to cross the ocean. Is it possible to cross the ocean in a rowboat? It could be. Some have, uh, uh, some have endeavored to cross great bodies of water with as little as possible and they've achieved. But most that have tried never make it. Because as you start out going from the shore, it may be nice and sunny and you feel the vessel is totally appropriate. And as you sort of leave the shore, everything is going fine until the first storm hits or until you realize, hey, this journey is a lot longer than three hours. A rowboat, anyone can be in a rowboat for three hours. But what about three weeks? What kind of provisions do you have? What happens when the storms come? Is your vessel able to stand the storm? And so if nobody ever told you that marriage will have its share of storms, then you may be happy to go out in a rowboat. But if you know, if people are telling you that marriage can be difficult and there will storms that will come, you better not go out in a rowboat. You'd rather use this yacht on the right that, where you can store sufficient provision. It's large enough to withstand the storms and to be able to go uh, to cross the sea in the journey of life. Smart love. Let's talk a little bit about smart love. Smart love follows God's way, and we, we talked about Philippians 1.9, and we talked about knowledge. But the scripture talks about knowledge and understanding. I don't know how many of you have gotten the spam uh, in your email box that says, uh, get your PhD quickly, no schooling required, no exams. You can just write away and you send 10 bucks and they'll send you the certificate saying you have your PhD. Well, how much worth is that PhD? It's worthless, it's garbage. Why is that? Because it takes time to learn and to grow. And that's why typically a PhD takes whatever, eight years, seven years, nine years, whatever the, uh, the time frame. Um, it allows us to discern God's leading because, again, knowledge, we start growing in this knowledge. It talks about sincerity. How can we be sincere if we're not willing to, willing to back up our love with a lifelong commitment? Can you say, I love you, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, when you, when you are not in a period to be able to even back that up and follow through with marriage? That's not being sincere. Scripture also talked about it's without offense. How do you feel? How do you think somebody will feel if you were their boyfriend and then they just dropped you? Of course your heart is going to break, especially if you've shared your, your passions and your, your, your heart's, heart's desires. And, and as that relationship grew and suddenly you were just thrown off to the side and replaced with somebody better. Your heart is shattered. And you think God is going to ignore that? Talking about when Jesus talked about offense, when somebody is offended, it's better for them to have a millstone that's hung around their neck and to be cast into the depths of the sea. That's how serious God sees offense. Or when we hurt somebody else. And God will hold us accountable for those that we do hurt. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Smart love does not give away our heart. It guards the heart until we're ready to follow through with marriage. We don't just share our heart with the first person that comes along, or we think, oh, great, we have some things in common, but we have not developed the maturity yet, and God has not revealed to us that we are yet ready for marriage. It also guards the opposite gender's heart. You can say, wow, I, my heart doesn't get broken. You know, I can go from relationship to relationship. That may be true, especially it may be easier for guys. 
But have you considered the broken hearts of the, of the girls that you've left behind? It's not just about your heart, but it's also about the other person's heart as well. Song of Solomon four times uses the phrase, do not awaken love until the time is right. Why, why do you suppose it says that? Do not awaken love until the time is right. Because when love is starting to become, uh, when it starts to awaken, it starts these feelings, it starts this process that is not easily reversed or stopped. And I don't know if you guys recognize that picture at the bottom. That's a levee that's breaking. And I don't know how many of you have been able to see a video footage of the point of which a levee starts to break. There's a very short window that you can fix that. The reason is, is because it accelerates. The water starts leaking through and it starts washing away and it starts going faster and faster and faster. And you don't catch it in the first couple minutes, it's finished. It will, you, it, it's unstoppable at that point. And that is sort of like the way love is. It starts, and if you're not careful, it'll start to accelerate. That's the natural progression. And eventually it starts going, the, 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 the passion or the, the, the love starts flowing so quickly, it's very difficult or impossible to reverse without significant damage already being done. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about dating. What is dating? Now, there's all kinds of different definitions, and I'm, I'm going to provide a very simple definition. And my definition is a guy and a girl that are not yet ready for a marriage relationship, but they're spending regular time with each other one-on-one -on -one, and are romantically involved with one another. That's the distinguishing between dating and friendship. Friendship is generally a group activity. You're not pairing off just one-on-one -on -one there, and you're certainly not romantically involved uh, in a friendship. And that's the difference between dating relationship and what I would characterize as friendship and, and a healthy friendship. I'd like to first of all state that I believe it is possible, but extremely difficult to date and to not sin in the process. Just like I said, do you think it's possible to cross the sea in a rowboat? Probably. There, there may be a few people that would be able to do it, but most would not be able to do it. Some people think that as long as we stay physically pure, we have not sinned. But it's much more than that. We're going to be talking a little bit about attitudes, values, and the distraction that dating can have on us. And the bottom line is God has something far better for us. You know, you could survive on a fast food diet the rest of your life, but you have an increased risk of all kinds of diseases, heart failure. You have the cholesterol that's involved. And would we ever recommend somebody to have their diet as fast food their entire life? Of course not. Why? Because God has provided much better foods for us for our body to grow and to survive and to be healthy. I would have to say that the 21st dating method 21st century dating methods tend to practice a lot of the foolish love aspects. Dating naturally leads to intimacy, but says nothing about commitment. It's backwards. You need, we should have commitment first to say, I am willing to spend the rest of my life with you before you start sharing your passions and your love, because if it's not meant to be, you're going you're gonna to leave broken hearts behind. Dating often skips the friendship state of a relationship. Have you ever had a great friend? You're thinking, wow, you know, I, I really like hanging around with this person. I wonder if I should do something more. Maybe I want to express my feelings to her. Some have expressed anxiety saying, oh, man, if I express my feelings to this person, what happens if she turns me down? I've lost not only a date, but I've lost the friendship as well. It changes the dynamics of the relationship. The focus changes on two individuals instead of the common bond that brought them together. So some people 
are naturally talented, for example, in music. If both of them are talented and are a group, they're practicing together, have special numbers together, uh, making a recording together, that's great. The focus is not on themselves. The focus is on the common bond and the gifts that God has given to them. As soon as you start getting intimate, the focus is no longer on that common bond, that music or the, 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 the hobbies or the, the service that you're providing. It suddenly becomes on each other. And that's, the, that's crossing the line between what is a friendship to when you start uh, what I would consider dating. It's very easy to mistake physical and emotional relationship with true love. Locking lips and bodies is not all the same as locking hearts. If you, if you get the two out of order, you're going to be in, a, in for a world of hurt. And we can see that around us. North America is literal, littered with broken relationships because people got the two backwards. They thought that starting romance first would be, um, is, is certainly the most easier and it feels the best, but if you get that out of order, you can, uh, um, it tends to stoke infatuation, which means that it accelerates the relationship. Remember, we we're talking about infatuation, which was there was urgency involved. There was there was feelings um, that you never had a week before, and 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 you you want to continue that acceleration, and that is part of an aspect of foolish love that we talked about. One of the things about dating is that it can be a major distraction from the singleness period that God has placed, had placed us in. Instead of us pouring our energy into developing those qualities and serving, and serving the Lord, we're now pouring our energy into a relationship that God may never have intended us to, to do because we're not in a position to get married. And we miss out on the service and the maturing that God wants us to do in, the, in our singleness period. I'm just going to share an example of, of uh, what it can mean to be distracted. This is just a story. <clears throat> David had always been involved in the local youth group, popular and outgoing. He met Abigail when she moved to town when her father had a job transfer. She started attending the youth group there and became involved as well. There was an instant connection and chemistry between the two of them. They were both physically attracted to each other and both very social and personable. They started spending a lot of time in church together and were almost constantly talking with each other. Soon, David be, uh, began emailing Abby, and because they wanted to, to talk to each other without interruptions, he even bought her a cell phone to make it possible for them to chat. Um, they would go out for coffee occasionally, one-on-one, -on -one when, th when they could, and each one spent a lot of time and energy when they were apart thinking about the other. They became, became so close emotionally that David even put off his one-year mission trip that he had planned because he felt he couldn't be away from her for that long. Their schooling was hit a bit and their grades didn't excel like they had previous to their relationship and they were going way too deep too quickly. Their focus was too much on each other and not on doing activities for and with others as well as pushing their friends away um, because they just didn't have enough time for everyone. Eventually, they realized they didn't have as much in common as they thought, and they drifted apart. So in that example, that was a major distraction. 
they couldn't focus as much on their schooling. Their, their, their church life could have been affected. The fact that they couldn't go on a mission trip. There were experiences that God had wanted them to make that they missed out on because they were focusing on the relationship that was premature. Another thing about dating is that it's an artificial environment. It shows us on our best behavior. We, ha we make the guy makes sure the car is the cleanest and you know the fanciest. He's gonna go pick up the girl. He's gonna go to the nicest place and have a nice romantic aura. And and um, that's not really how you get to truly know somebody. If anything, you want to be creating artificial environments in marriage because the reality of marriage is sometimes it's hard work, especially with the kids, and that life becomes busy, that you need to get out of that environment. You need to go to a restaurant, and you need to have those special times together. But that's the wrong thing to do during a time of singleness. Instead, we need, you, you want to be focusing in the natural environment. Of what, what are they like around their friends? What are they like in their normal circumstances with their families, as opposed to what are they like on their best behavior? I once watched a strongman competition where there was these huge guys that had been lifting weights and probably obviously on steroids as well. And there, there was a uh, competition where they had to throw these um, weights, that's actually barrels, up to a certain height and over, over the top. And there was a certain time limit on how many they could throw over in that time. And so these big hulking guys came up there. They each had their turn. They're throwing things over. And then this little guy wasn't probably half their size coming. You look at him thinking, okay, how is this guy ever going to compete with these big hulksters? He went there, and he blew them all away. And I'm thinking, how is that possible? And then the announcer shared a bit about their background. That guy actually was a farmer. He used his muscles every single day. They were not artificial, not like the guys who went to the gym ten uh, uh, one hour every day to lift weights in a a particular prescribed artificial environment so that they were really strong. They looked, they looked really good, but when it came down to actually using their muscles in the real world, they didn't measure up versus this other guy, who, uh, this farmer, who had to use his muscles all the time, day in and day out, in a, not an artificial environment, in a real environment, he could perform under, the, under that circumstance. And the same thing is with dating. Dating is that artificial environment that will Unless we're, the real environment is the best place to develop our skill set and to, to develop those qualities that we had talked about previously. How would you like to marry somebody who was divorced 10 times? Or how about somebody who uh, dated 50 people? Of course, you're thinking, well, normally we say, well, practice makes perfect. Somebody who has experience, you know, <laughs> that they should know the best. When in fact, in this case, you're like, uh, I think I'd shy away from that person. If he dropped 50 people, why, how am I going to be any different, of course? Why? Because, and yet our culture says, move in together, practice, try it out. And the reality of it is, reality of it is, is that those who move in together, statistics show that they are twice as likely to get a divorce than those who do not. Why is that? Because when they're moving in together, when they're moving in together, the thing that they're lacking is commitment. And that's the biggest problem. And that's what dating does not get us, is commitment. So you're thinking, okay, now what? Great. If dating is not, the, is not a great way of doing things, then how do I get from being single to married? Because eventually I would like to get married. Well, that's a good question. It's a, it's a, and, and it's a very complex one. And in the remaining time that we have, um, it's going to be difficult to sort of do that topic Justice. But we'll, hit, we'll highlight a, a number of uh, points 
for you to consider about how to transition from being single to being married. So one thing is that there is no one answer or formula. Just like each of us, God has created unique, you're going to have a unique story for your own life. Some of you, just like God has created some of you, taller, shorter, heavier, thinner, different colors of hair, different styles. The same thing is going to happen for your marriage story. It's going to be an individual story. But again, we're going to talk about some principles that God has uh, left for us to follow. There's a number of different approaches. One of them is they don't, know, they don't know each other at all, and they take that step through faith. And we know some of those stories that, that that happened. And we also know the outcomes sometimes of those as well. In some cases, wonderful. Their life together was great. They had fostered those qualities that we had talked about, and the Lord also allowed them to grow together as they were married. In other cases, it ended up in shipwreck. There are some times where people meet, maybe at a camp activity like this, and that's what starts the ball rolling. And they also look for those qualities and foster it, but they don't foster a friendship. And eventually, when they go back home, they pray about it. They don't have a lot of uh, communication one with another. They ask through the minister in the, the traditional way that we have practiced over the last you know, 100 years or so, and the Lord blesses that as well. Does that guarantee that you have a great marriage relationship? Absolutely not. It doesn't. It can but the things that lead up to a marriage, it's not necessarily the process that you're going through that's going to be a blessing or, or, or going to indicate whether you have a good marriage or not. Um, certainly, some things will make it more difficult for you to have a good marriage. But again, we can think of cases where um, things turn out well and other cases where things didn't turn out so well. We think of uh, serving God as Rebecca did. Rebecca didn't even meet Isaac. An event, and their relationship was not the greatest after that. Was it because the approach they took? I don't think so. I think there's a lot of other things that were playing behind the scenes as we read through the scripture. We don't have time to go through those. But again, you have a much greater chance for success in a wonderful marriage if you foster smart love. One of the, thing, one of the approaches that seems to be becoming a lot more common, especially in our day and age, is friendship. You sort of meet together at an activity like this at camp. You may be in your own local church. And... If you look throughout history, there has never been a time where you can communicate one-on-one -on -one as we have today. You, got, you, you have email, you have instant messenger, you have all kinds of different social sites on the internet, you have text messaging, um, opportunities uh, together as youth like this, and naturally friendships begin. And you know what? Friendships with the opposite gender are great. I enjoyed them thoroughly because it's like a breath of fresh air. You get a different perspective from the opposite gender. And God created it that way. But the key thing is a friendship can only stay a friendship if it does not become intimate. In other words, where the focus now suddenly comes off the thing that brought you together like Eastern Camp, where it suddenly becomes focused on just the two of you. That starts moving away from friendship and you need to be very careful about that. And you want to avoid that. You need to be able to relate in ways where neither of you are the focus. It's good to be involved in group activities that are service-focused as opposed to entertainment-focused. So if there are things that are happening in your youth group back home, great, work together as in, a, in a group activity. That's the natural environment where you'll be able to see the types of qualities that this other person will have. Absolutely avoid romantic things because it's like picking a flower before it is bloomed. Let's say God... God has shown you that this is the person that you would like to marry. But now is not the time. If you make the move prematurely, it's like picking that flower before it's bloomed. 
you, you, you'll miss the golden, or that's not, what, that's not God's best for you. And now is not the time. And I'm thinking of a statement is, the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. So if God showed you at 17 years old that this girl is going to be your wife, but not until you're 24, and you make the move at 17 or 18, that is the wrong thing. And that's probably why God doesn't show us. Because I know if I was in that age group and said, Darlene is going to be your wife, first of all, I would say, forget it. I'm not marrying Darlene. We were way too far apart. And God knew that. That's probably one of the reasons why he didn't lead us together at that time. Both of us needed time to mature. That's one reason. The other thing is, let's say after a while, I'm like, okay, I got to get used to this idea. I better make sure she's reserved. And I started trying to make the moves beforehand. First of all, I would have scared her away. She's like, oh my goodness, what's this guy trying to do? But it also would have been a distraction to me. And that's why I believe one of the main reasons that God does not reveal that, that far ahead of us. Because it's going to cause us to be distracted. He wants us to trust him and to be content in the current state that we are and to maintain friendship relationships. And of course, we want to avoid the settings that are just exclusively, exclusively the two of you. And... Places like here at Eastern Camp, you know, you say, you don't want to just hang around the two of you. You don't want to go, you know, where you see one, you'll see the other, and people start saying, hey, you know, those two guys, every time we go into service, they're sitting together. Or every time we go to a forum or in class, or every time during gym time or recreation time, they're always together. You don't want to do that because you're going to start crossing the friendship line. You want to maintain a friendship not only just with one person, you want to maintain that with many different people. Before you can move on from being single, from being friends, to being engaged, you need to have at least four green lights. First of all, you need to be ready for marriage. If you are not ready for marriage tomorrow because you don't have a job, you don't have the finances, you, can't, uh, you don't have the maturity yet, you still need to finish off your schooling, whatever the thing is, and only you can evaluate that along with people that are close to you, you don't have a green light in that area. You must not move beyond friendship into an intimate relationship. Are the parameters within God's word? If you are not a Christian, marriage is out of the question. That will not be God's will for your life. If she or the other person is not a Christian, that is outside of God's parameters. Um, that will not be a green light. How about on the accountability or mentor side of things? How is your relationship with your parents? Or do you have a relationship with somebody who's more mature that you can share? Because we're going to go through these things like feelings. We're going to say, you know what, I really feel I like her. I'm, I'm friends with her, but I don't know. How do I discern whether this is God's will for me? Chances are you will not be able to discern by yourself. I couldn't. I went through the situation with Darlene. I thought when we were older and had developed some of the qualities that God had called us to, um, of course, we're not perfect and still are not, still got a long ways to go. But I had thought, maybe she is the one that God is calling me to. But I don't really know her. She's not even from my own church. What do I do? And so I called out somebody that I knew from her local church, a mature brother. And I said, brother, I'm praying about this, but I don't know how to discern this. Can you help me? And he was able to share about Darlene, what she is like in her natural environment. I'm like, oh, that's neat. If I had to try to find out, I would never have been able to find that information out. I had also somebody back home who I was accountable to, where we started praying together about it, saying, Lord, please reveal this to me. And we, I had considered other sisters. I had prayed about others, and I didn't know. How do I know whether I was friends with them? Do I need to go beyond that? And as we prayed it through, as I prayed it through with my mentors, 
God revealed, sometimes in a couple weeks, sometimes in a couple months, no, this is not the direction I want you to go to. You are to remain friends. And I never regret that. Because those friendships brought value. I didn't cross that line. Um, and of course, you need to make it a matter of constant prayer and have a peace about it. You need to practice those things of smart love that we talked about and make sure that you aren't falling into the foolish love categories. As you move beyond the friendship phase, first of all, this needs to happen slowly. Otherwise, you'll, be, you'll, you'll risk falling into infatuation. At some point, you will need to pursue, you, that you would need to express that you need to pursue this beyond friendship. And this is really sensitive. There is no one right way to do this. Um, I will share how we did this. I felt I did not feel that it would be appropriate for me to express this to Darlene myself. I still was not sure whether God was leading us together. I talked to her elder, Brother Doug. I said, Brother Doug, I've been praying about it. So far, I'm getting all the green lights, but I would really like to get to know her personally a little bit more in order for me to confirm that this is God's will. And so in that case, we had the opportunity to talk about it together. There was a period of time where I had said, Darlene, we are great friends here. I've been praying about perhaps God will lead us beyond the friendship stage that God may be wanting to bring us together. Are you willing to pray about that? And Brother Doug was informed of that. My elder back in our home church minister was informed of that. My spiritual mentors were aware of this. This was not something I was doing behind the scenes. It's not something I stood up in church saying, uh, by the way, brothers and sisters, I'm, uh, you know, gonna, uh, I'd like to consider Darlene over here. No, nobody else knew about this, not because I wanted to hide it. It was not an appropriate setting. So during that time, uh, at Ontario Sings and other places where we got together, I didn't always hang around with her. That was not the time to do it. Um, and yet, I was fully transparent with my mentors, my, my spiritual mentors, and with the leadership in both my church and her church. And at that time, there was no romantic things that were involved. I did not buy her flowers. I did not try to write her poems. And if I would, she probably would have ran away because I'm not a poet anyway. <laughs> okay. um, because this was a time where both of us were seriously praying about it. We realized that maybe God was bringing us together. And as we prayed about it, um, and as we talked about some of the things in life, some of the serious things in life that involve marriage, involved with children, involved our passions of what God has called us to serve in and the gifts and the talents that he gave us. Um, it started becoming apparent to us that God was leading us together. And Darlene had her mentors as well, where she could pray with somebody who was more mature. And let me define a mentor. A mentor is not somebody that is your peer. It's not your buddy and say, hey, you know, guess what I did yesterday? I met with so-and-so, and I think we're just hitting it off. Because the problem is you cannot get that kind of instruction for somebody that is your age. You need to have somebody that's more mature. For some of you, it will be your parents, and I would encourage that. For some of you, it may, you may, your parents may be aware of it, but they may not know all the details because somebody else you're closer to, somebody that's more mature in your church. And it's important that, um, that they be aware of it, that you are not going behind their back, and that they can keep you accountable to say, you know what, you don't have a green light in this area. This quality or this thing you're struggling with you need to overcome that before you pursue marriage. And they're the only ones that can keep you accountable and, and look uh, at your blind spots, perhaps, that you cannot see. And maybe put the brakes on a little bit, saying, look, it's developing a little bit too quickly. We need to pray more about this. And that's, that's, uh, that's why it's important to have uh, a mentor. Through this time, of course, 
Um, your leadership should, should know about it. There should be someone in your leadership that, that you, um, our time is running out, I've got another minute or two, so I'll try to wrap it up. Uh, somebody in your local leadership, and of course, if she's not from your church, whether that's her dad or somebody in the leadership there, should be aware of this. Again, this is not something that you need to hide. You should be hiding from those that are close to the situation. But it should be kept discreet from just the general public. And of course, through that time, it should become apparent whether God is leading you together. So in the case, if God had not been leading us together, I would have had no regrets. I would not have, opened, I would not have started you know, uh, re uh, awakening love before its time, as the scripture says because we were not romantically or intimately involved. For many, it may end up, it will end up in marriage. And of course, that's my hope for those of you that would desire to become married. Um, for some, you will be called to be single for the rest of your life. And that's not an incomplete state. If God has called you to do that, he's called you for a special purpose. And of course, if you use smart love to prepare for marriage, it will make the journey smoother and more enjoyable, and of course, without regrets. Uh, one thing I had wanted to mention, where's the book? Uh, as I was single and struggling with these areas, it was not apparent to me that these qualities of smart love and foolish love and these things, what I should be looking for or developing in my own life. And uh, I had found a, a book that I would be able to recommend, which is called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. How many of you have heard this book? about this book, okay? Most of you have, or a good portion of you have. Written by Joshua Harris. This was written when he was single, in his teen, late teen years, I believe, and has excellent um, uh, reasons and things that you need to develop as a single period and things to avoid and how to maintain things at a friendship level. So if you'd like more information or if you have any questions, we don't have any time for questions now because uh, you guys need to move off to teen choir, but feel free to see uh, Darlene or myself uh, afterwards. Thank you.